Heritage Media. You may be surprised to know that in a month there have been over 300,000 searches on realestate.com for the region Central Coast. This tells us two things. One, people aren't looking for specific areas to buy in, they just want the Central Coast. And two, with prices going up in our neighbourhood by 10% in the past year, they're pretty serious when they're looking. So unless you have your finances in place and you have your pre-approval ready to go, you will more than likely miss out. One place you should definitely call before you start looking is your broker. They will be instrumental in your search for a great interest rate and knowing your borrowing power. To tell us more and to give us the lowdown on all things brokering, here is Matt Butcher from The Brokerage. Hello, Callie. Hey, Matt. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Sorry we're a few minutes late. That's all right. We had to wait for our coffees to arrive. Oh, that'd be right. Fuku <laughs> Cafe. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this. That's all right. I'm hoping, um, like I said, I've... I've I'm hoping I've written enough questions to keep us going for at least 25 minutes. Yeah, look, it sounds like it. Yeah. I don't, I don't talk as much as my brother. Get out, really? So, <laughs> so um, yeah, so we'll, we'll see how we go. Yeah, no, nah, this is perfect. This is perfect. I reckon, Darren, you ask one question and you've got 25 minutes worth of content. <laughs> God, he can talk. Yeah. <laughs> so it doesn't run in the family? Because I know I have a coffee with your dad once a month. He loves a chat too. Oh, look, I've, I probably do, but I'm, I'm not at their level. <laughs> I, I probably chat, but I, I think, um, yeah, not not at, not at um, uh, salesperson uh, real estate level. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to jump in. So, Matt, can you tell me the difference between a broker and a lender? Yes. Um, look, uh, uh, a lender is essentially your, your, the person that's lending you the money. So, so it might be the bank. It might be a second or third tier um, financial institution. So the person that's lending you the money. Uh, a mortgage broker is somebody that offers products across a range of lenders. So so we can shop around. We can come up with different different criteria that suit each lender. So, so we get to know their products, essentially. And I guess in saying that as well, you know what a particular lender would be after straight off the bat because I imagine they're all a little bit different with how strict they are and what they need and what they want and who they like to service and how they like to service them. So if you've got... Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't say we know it off, off the bat. Um, look, we, we, we obviously know what niches each of the lenders like to fit in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but look, every every criteria is so different that, that we kind of go, oh, we'd probably place that with so-and-so. Uh, but uh, look, each, each scenario, what we do is we, we workshop it. We work through each of the scenarios, um, all, the, all the intricacies of it. And, and all the differences, and, and then we try and place it with the best lender that's going to suit suit their criteria. Yeah, okay. And the other thing that um, a lot of people mention, and I know I, I did it when I first used a broker many years ago, is you go, how do if I'm not paying you, because it's a free service for me, how does a broker earn their money? Who pays you? Uh, the banks and lenders pay us. So, um, look, basically, we're their sales team. So, I think 60 to 70% of deals now go through broker channels mm-hmm. as opposed to direct to banks and lenders. So, so instead of, look, they pay commission to their sales team to go out there and bring in sales and, and bring, in, bring in new clients. Um, essentially, we are their sales team. So, we get paid directly by them. It doesn't cost you a cent as a, as a borrower. And, um, yeah, yeah, so it goes on through us. Yeah, so it really the, the person 
you know, me going for a, a loan through you, I'm, I'm getting the best of out of it really, aren't I? Because I get your service for free and the banks are paying you, so it's good. Absolutely. Look, I, I've got 30 lenders that are on my panel and so I basically I'll shop around to those 30 lenders and, and your criteria is so different to the next person's that say you walk into your, your bank that you've banked with for the last 30 years and, and you're standing there talking to them. They say, yes, we're, we're happy to do this loan, but they mightn't like, say, you're self-employed. They mightn't like if you've got one bad year in your self-employed income. So all of a sudden, that mightn't suit that lender. They go and do the loan application because they don't know that until the application's going in and, and you get a hit on your credit file plus the fact that you've got a knockback and most people don't go for a second application after they've got a knockback so they've crossed themselves out they've walked away from that property that they might have been going to buy and um and, and they miss out where they come to a mortgage broker mortgage broker straight away is collecting all that information before they apply and they say oh wait a second you had a bad year uh that bank won't lend in that category so we know before we've even hit, put a credit hit on your file um any application's gone in so we've already researched those things and, and basically pulled pulled your scenario apart and um, and then you don't get bad hits on your credit file, we might end up taking you back to the same lender. Yeah. And and look, we get we get a better rate or at least the same rate that is offered to you when you walk into a branch. Mm-hmm. And you say you've got 30 lenders on your books. Is there a process to get lenders as a mortgage broker, you and another mortgage broker in another town? Do you both have access to the same or you actually have to go through your own applications as a broker to have 30 lenders on your books? Uh, a bit of both, a bit of both. Look, we've all, we've, we've all got the big four. Um, you'll find most, most people are working with the big four. Um, the second and third tier lenders can vary depending on what type of deals you're doing, what type of clients you're getting. So if, if you're attracting a lot of self-employed, you might have a few more in the self-employed sort of category. Mm-hmm. If, if most of your applicants are uh, nurses and doctors, uh, you, you might have a lot that sort of specialise in that field. So so you tend to tailor, you try and have a good range, basically. So um, if you do get a nurse or a doctor come in, you, you know where to where, where the best place to put them um, as opposed to PAYG, uh, self-employed, sorry. Mm-hmm. So you'll place them accordingly. So look, we've probably got very, very similar lenders, but um, there might be one or two sort of quirks coming out the side. Yeah, okay. And for those that don't know, um, what the big four are, can you explain which banks they are? Uh, NAB, Combank, Westpac and and St George. Yep, so they're essentially just the biggest players. Yes, yes. But there's a million little, little guys out there that um, do really great deals. Yeah, I think I think there's about a, a, a hundred or so second and third tier lenders which are, which are really trying to shake, shake the tree at the moment. Uh, the, big, the big difference is most of your big fours or, or, or predominantly your big fours at the moment, um, their lead times are huge. Mm. So their, their assessment times, I think um, a couple of them are 21 to 35 days. So if you're in a finance clause or you're in a cooling off period, um, you, you, you can't, assess, can't get assessed within that cooling off period. Mm. So if you've, got, if you've bought a property and you know that the seller will not extend that cooling off period, you almost have to say, I can't go to one of those lenders. Yeah, okay. So we, we have to take you to those second and third tier lenders, and some of those are turning it around in 48 hours, that's, an application. That's insane. So they've just got a much smaller turnaround. Is that just because they're smaller and they can do that? Yeah, look, it's probably they're not dealing with the, the volume that the banks are, 
Um, and, and yeah, look, it really is. There's probably less steps in their process. It's, it's more going to an individual that's assessing as opposed to a system that is going. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, look, it's just, just a quicker process. Okay. And but that's not saying all, that's not saying all the big four, by the way. Uh, they, they, they go through different stages where, where their, their turnaround times are a lot quicker. So we get alerts sort of, um, almost weekly. Okay. Just so letting us know what their current turnarounds are. It's just changing all the time then. Yes. Yeah. And do you need to be licensed to be a broker? Are there different levels out there? What particular certificates do you need? Can you break that down for us? Uh, yes, you do have to be licensed. So we uh, we need at least a Cert 4 in mortgage broking and um, and you've got to have a credit licence or working under a credit licence. Uh, I've got a Cert 4 and a diploma. Okay. So is that what you should be looking for if you're out there shopping for a broker? Uh, look, realistically, brokers shouldn't be shouldn't be working and, and shouldn't be promoting and shouldn't be touching anything to do with your financials unless they have those qualifications. Okay. So what, what you really need to be doing is seeing if they've got a credit licence um, and what's called a CRN number, which is a credit representative number. Yeah, okay. And... I know that no two clients or no two home loans would be the same. How do you, you just mentioned before, you can, it's pretty bespoke. How do you, you look at the application and you just know straight away, just through your experience, the best path to go down for that particular client. Is that correct? No, <laughs> you're, you're close, you're close. But the truth is that what we do is we, we start with probably their income. How do they get their income? Is it PAYG? Is it self-employed? Then we'll look at the scenario and go, okay, they want to get an 80% lend or 95% lend or 60% lend. Um, then we'll look at where they sit as far as um, job security. Have they been there for a long period of time? Um, so we'll, what we'll do is we'll pull apart everything and go through each of the different quirks. What, what area are they buying in? Um, postcodes are quite a big one at the moment where they don't, some lenders don't like to lend sort of regional areas. So we're sort of pulling together all the pieces. Once we get those together, then we'll go, okay, now which lenders are going to be talking to us in this place? And so so then we'll start looking at, at which lenders. Then what we'll do is then we'll start assessing what best rates can we get you? So where, where can we start shopping around for the best rates? So, um, yeah, that's kind of the, the steps. Okay, so you did mention, you know, different areas um, are taken into consideration. What are some other things that people might be surprised to know that banks actually take or lenders take into consideration? Uh, if you're PAYG, for instance, and you're getting overtime, bonuses, commission, uh, those can be weighted very differently with different lenders. So um, some lenders, like commission in particular, they might they might do sort of an average over 12 months and do 50%. Uh, others, others might take 100% of the last six months. So different ways that your commissions come through. If you've got rental properties, they get weighted very differently as well. So the the rental income from them, investment space. So um, some are eighty percent, some are sixty percent that they take as that rental income. Um, the other thing that I find that I've been really surprised with since I've come into this is is credit cards and how much difference that they can make to to your borrowing capacity. So. Things like Afterpay, VipPay, and Hum, and those those type of store cards, mm-hmm. they're, they're considered credit cards. So as a borrower, even if you pay off your credit card every single month and it goes down to a zero balance, you are still assessed as if that's at the top limit. So Yeah, so if, if I've got a $10,000 credit card and I only owe $120 on it, it's 
$10,000 in debt. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. That's right. So they, they, they look at the repayments as if it was at $10,000 and it's weighted as well. We, we did an exercise with a $45,000 combined credit card limit, which which sounds a lot, but it's not that uncommon. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, it changed the borrowing capacity by reducing that to zero by $250,000 that they could borrow. Wow. So if you're five or $10,000 short in what you can borrow to buy a property that you want to get, uh, have a look at your credit card balances, or, or not your balance, sorry, the limit, and see if you can reduce those. Sometimes you're better off transferring um, part of your saving, get that limit down, and and then you can actually borrow more. Yeah, wow. Okay. And what's the average mortgage on the Central Coast, just to dive into other people's business a little bit? Can you? <laughs> uh, look, at probably around the 500000 mark. So. I think property prices, I think the average around there is probably around 500 as well at the moment. Um, so it's fairly similar. You get a lot of properties that are higher in value, but you also get um, some loans that are that are lower. So, yeah, I think it averages pretty close to what the property market's actually averaging. Okay. And a little bit of feedback we're getting at the moment in the industry is you might see a, a fantastic home, you you know, it's 700, you know, selling for 700,000, you really want to buy it and it's gr- it's great because it's what you want, but the banks are only coming in with a lower valuation. Um, is that just because of the supply and demand? How do banks come in at, a, at an undervaluation of that 100,000, $120,000 above the real estate value? Uh, look, realistically, a valuer is assessing the property on on sales, like recent sales. So they're not they're not looking. I mean, they look at the individual property and what the features are, but they're they're looking at traditional sales. So what tends to happen is is you make a sale today, and that is only reported to um, to RP Data or, or RealEstate.com um, in three months' time or after settlement, and then sort of a month after that. So they're using that data, which which is which is traditionally about three months old. Now, they do assess the current market conditions as well, but they can only use settled data. So, um, so what, what they're finding is that when you, particularly in a market where it's a growing market, that they're having to use data that's a little bit older and they don't know that there was five people competing over that property. Mm-hmm. And, and to be quite honest, they don't care. Um, they, they, they really, they're just looking at what what they can actually compare it against because you've got a picture that these people may sit in court in five years' time and they say, where did you get this data from? And they say, well, I, I saw this property, this property, this property, and they sold for that price. That's why I put that price on that property. So just because something down the road, across the road or behind me has sold, it a really, you know, prices are going up in the last couple of weeks or months, doesn't mean it's actually reflective yet there's a lag effect of about, say, three or four months. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Now, the best way to get around that is if there's a few lenders out there that do upfront valuations. So if, if you're a little bit worried about that, you're probably better off, we're probably better off placing you with one of those lenders and um, and getting an upfront valuation. So, and, and look, a good way to do it in this space is if, if you do get a bad valuation and you've done an upfront one, uh, we can go to another lender. There's no credit done. All we've done is, is um, we've done a valuation to see that the property is going to stack up. Okay, and does that cost me money? Uh, there's a few that do free. Uh, there's there's a couple that charge somewhere between sort of three and four hundred dollars if it's a residential property. So um, yeah, look, they're, they're, we can do either. Okay. Now I just want to talk about interest rates for a minute. They're so low at the moment, and 
just when you think they can't get any lower, they get lower. So, you know, something that was 4% was low and then it was 2.5 and you think it's not going to get lower than that. And now we're seeing them some under 2%. How is that, is that sustainable from, from your perspective? Uh, I think, I think long-term we're, we're going to end up back, I, I'd probably say around the four mark, somewhere around there. I think that'd be a little bit more than norm, but look, I, I don't think that's a short-term prediction. I think realistically there's all the way, that we last heard, they're, they're talking 2025 before they can see them starting to go up. Mm-hmm. In saying that, I mean, that we're in such uncertain times that, um, yeah, you, you look at the predictions around COVID and, and international travel and everything, and that changes every time you turn the news on. So it's, it's, it's an unusual time for making predictions. But in saying that, I think the Reserve Bank going going to be fairly conservative in this space because they, they need money back into the economy. And one of the ways to do it is low interest rates. Okay, and and if I was to be lucky enough to snag a loan for under two percent, yep. What do you do? Is it best to have it fixed or varied or both? And can you just explain that to people listening what that actually means, fixed and varied? Okay, so so a fixed loan is is basically you lock it in for a period of time. So if you say a two year fixed loan, um, two years you keep that same rate, same repayment, same same everything on that. A variable loan is generally a little bit higher in rate, uh, but you, you normally have extra features with a variable loan because you can pay it down quicker, you can pay extra repayments off it, um, you might have an offset or a redraw account associated with it. So there's always um, some extra benefits that you get sort of out of a variable. Um, yeah, so that, that's probably the main difference between the two. In saying that, one of my lenders at the moment has got a product which is a 1.99% variable capped for two years, which means it's, it's actually a bit like a, a fixed rate loan with the flexibility of a variable. So what it means is if the interest rates go up, it doesn't go above 1.99% for the next two years. And if they go down, it goes down with that and you still get the offset or redraw account with it. So if I was to take that home loan on and we, in two years' time, interest rates are at 4.2%. What happens then? Do, does my loan automatically go from capped at that under two and then jump straight up or do I get an evaluation where I can reassess it? Uh, it, it? It does automatically go up to that rate, but we can do things like we, we can apply for a fixed rate loan. We could, we could, uh, we'd probably know if it was going up 2% before then. So we could have, we could have locked it in at, I don't know, two, 2.5, 2.4. So, we, during the process, we'd be still working with you to make sure that we're getting you the best deal. And if there's a prediction that interest rates are going to shoot up, um, we'd, we'd be talking to everyone that we've got in these loans and saying, look, I, I reckon it's time to lock this in because you're still in a variable loan. So we could go to a fixed rate loan any time. Like two months in, you might go, this isn't working for me. Let's go to a fixed rate loan and, and we'll just take you across. Okay. And you can do both. If you're borrowed 500000 you can have half of that fixed and half of that varied? Yep, yep, half, 75%, 90-10, uh, however you want. So if I'm a first homeowner, if I'm an investor, is there different ways to do it? What What's the trend? What are most people doing at the moment? Uh, it's a bit of both. It's a bit of both. I, look, probably, probably fixing for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, two to three years seems to be fairly normal. Um, yeah, look, that's just probably... Only because the variable interest rates are a little bit higher, they're up sort of around the three mark, three and a half percent mark in most of the loans. So, so if you can get sort of one point one point nine, 
1.2, those sorts of rates, look, it's, it's pretty cheap money. So it's it's not a bad time to be locking those sorts of figures in. Okay. And deposits, you mentioned it earlier, but I, I, not 20% anymore. You can you can get a home loan without a 20% deposit? Uh, yes, you can. Uh, look, if you're in the self, self-employed bracket, you, you're probably talking 10 to 15% realistically you need as a deposit. Um if your PAYG, secure industry, been there, not affected by COVID, all those sorts of things, look, um, 5%. Um, but in saying that, you'll, you'd pay lenders mortgage insurance in that space, um, probably in both scenarios, actually, So, um, which can be quite expensive to do that. I, ideally, you're still looking for that 20% deposit. That, if, if you can get yourself to there, you're in a pretty good position and, um, and there's a lot of people that are throwing some pretty cheap money at you. Mm-hmm. And with investors, is there a particular home loan um, that we should know about or home loan features that we should know about which would be um, great for an investor at the moment? Uh, look, they're, they're, they're all pretty good products. They're, they're, look, they're, they're generally about half a percent higher in, in interest rates than, than an owner-occupied um, property, um, in, um, home loan, sorry. So, um, yeah, look, I'd say look, we're just looking for the best rate. The um, if if you wanted something that you wanted to fix, um, you can go interest only as well. Um, they tend to weight interest only a little bit higher, but they're still pretty good rates and, and pretty good home loans. And you just you just tailor it to what you and your accountant best think suits your requirements and the best way for your tax position as well. Okay. And uh, you just did mention lenders mortgage insurance. What is that? Can you explain that? Okay. Lenders mortgage insurance essentially is an insurance that you pay to insure the bank. So um, basically, the bank the bank sees eighty percent as as a bit of a barrier. Now, there's a couple that sort of go either way of that, but eighty percent seems to be pretty close to the norm. Mm-hmm. Um, anything above eighty percent, you have to pay what's called lender's mortgage insurance. So, you know, sorry, if you if you're borrowing anything above eighty percent, um, you pay lender's mortgage insurance. Now that that jumps quite considerably if you're getting up to your sort of ninety eight. 95, 98% lens. Um, obviously, you're paying a, a lot of lenders' mortgage insurance. So what the, what the concept is, is that if you couldn't pay your loan and the bank had to sell your property and real estate prices had gone backwards at the time, they see that 20% buffer as the realistic buffer that they need. Anything above that, um, they, they might not get back. So that's covered by insurance. Mm-hmm. And what fees... Can do I have to, there's stamp duty? There's a lot of legal fees and things like that. Do I have to cover them up front, or can they be thrown into the mortgage as well? Depending on which product. Depending on which product we, we offer, um, some include it, some keep it separate. Uh, depends. It, it obviously takes you up in a percentage that you're borrowing. So the percentage that's calculated is against the the, the property value or the purchase price. So by including it in, um, we go up. A, go up a couple of percent as far as borrowing but um, in saying that uh, look there's different ways so probably a, a long answer to a short short question is uh, yes we can include it. Mm-hmm. And if I called you today and I started filling out the online form and gave you all my information how long would it what's the general process time how long until you could tell me how much I could borrow? Uh, look I could, I could give you a an indication within about 48 hours Mm-hmm. of how much you could borrow um, based on all of that information being correct and accurate. 
but um, for the application itself to actually physically get a, a pre-approval or conditional approval, um, we, we depends on the lender that we go to. So as I said, the banks, some banks are 21 to 35 days, but then I've got other lenders on the panel that are, that are 48 hour approvals. So it'll depend where we go. If, if you're in a cooling off or something like that and, and we need to get it done and we need to turn around quickly, um, we're, we're going to steer which lender we go to because of that decision. Okay, so with the pre-approval, let's just say I am pre-approved for 700000 Does that mean yep. I actually have to – I can look at a property up to 700000 So if I see something for 600000 can I then get that and then use that other hundred k for improvements or do I have to borrow on the asset what I've been approved for? Uh, no, you'd – you, you could buy something up to 600000 up to 700000 Um It is subject to, there would be always conditions on a pre-approval. So it'd be subject to valuation. It'd be subject to uh, some documents, updated pay slips, circumstances not changing. So it, it's a, an overview and they're saying that, look, you look good on paper and um, and we, we can lend you that money based on that. Um, the $100,000 to do the renovations or do any work around it will depend on your deposit. Because what you're actually doing is it's still assessed on the purchase price or the, the property value. So um, it's taking you into that next percentage criteria, which might be higher interest rates. It might be lender's mortgage insurance. It could take you into a different bracket there. Um, so if you had it in savings, then there's no problems at all. You'd still do it exactly the same. Um, and then you can do your renovations. But that pre-approval just means because at the moment things are going so quickly, if I've got pre-approval, it means I can actually just make an offer on a home. You can make an offer. You still are at risk of, of losing your deposit, but um, but they've had a look at your scenario when they're saying, yes, look, based on what we've been told, yes, we'll lend you the money, um, subject to these few things. And how long does that last? I'm kind of, uh, three months, generally. Oh, okay, three months. All right. And what do you, what's the biggest mistake you see when people are coming to you for a loan? Do you just sort of see the same one or two mistakes being made over and over again? Um. Probably people coming in and seeing the two percent interest rate, and and thinking that they're going to get those, and and if we can't offer them, um, we're going somewhere else. Uh, those two percent interest rates are, are what the banks would consider triple A clients. So you'd have to almost tick every single box coming down their list, and 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 be the absolute perfect client. So that's no defaults, no 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 history, no not a not a lot of credit debt. Um, great credit score, uh, all those sorts of things. PAYG, been in the job for 10 years, secure industry, um, all those sorts of things. Uh, in saying that, there's still, there's still a lot of other lenders that are out there that are offering those really good rates when you're slightly outside the box. So, but the, the one thing that if somebody gets a quote of say 2.3% and they go, oh, I've seen 2% advertised or 1.99% or 1.8% advertised, uh, it's, it's not, it's not tailored to every situation and every every solution. Mm-hmm. So that that does make a lot of sense. Actually, I never even thought about it that way. Yes, no target market. Yeah, and with your refinancing, there's a lot of people out there have been paying off their mortgage for four or five years. They haven't refinanced. Their interest rates are still yep. at that four percent mark. Um, and let's just say their loan's four hundred and fifty five hundred thousand. Is it easy to refinance? You still need to provide the same documentation as if you're doing a loan application. Uh, what I'd probably say in that scenario is if you are refinancing, don't take out a 30-year loan. 
take the 25-year loan because otherwise you're starting the whole process again. Mm-hmm. So, But it does mean that your servicing's higher um, if you can afford it. And um, look, sometimes we just have to take them back to a 30-year loan. But if you've had five years, you're paying off your home loan. You don't want to add another five years back onto it. No. So, but, but in saying that, we can make a big difference as far as interest rates are concerned. Yeah, and how much money do you think they could save if, if someone is paying off their $450,000 loan at 4% you can get them on to sort of 3.2 or even 2.5? It, it's a it's a pretty big chunk each week, isn't it? Absolutely. So just, just in interest, if you went um, uh, if for the next 25 years and you say, say 2%, or you were paying 5 down to 2%, you'd probably save in the region of about $375,000 in interest. Yeah, and if you just kept paying at that same rate, you'd knock years off, wouldn't you? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You'd end up paying it probably out in about 15, 20 years. And is there a big difference with paying off your loan weekly, fortnightly, monthly over, say, the course of 25 years? Is there? Is that true? Uh, there, there is a difference. Um, it, it can save you thousands over the over the course of the loan. But what I'd probably say in this is really set it up around your circumstances and and how you live. And if look, if you're used to paying rent weekly, um, just set this up weekly because it'll save you some money. If you get a salary once a month, set it up around your salary. Just set it up to the best circumstances that you're going to manage because you're not trying to manage it for, for the next six months. This is 30 years of your life. Try and set it up around how you live and, and the best way for you to, to live going forward without without putting too much pressure on yourself because mm-hmm. you can always make extra payments and reduce it quicker and and if you find that look I could have been paying it weekly and I've taken it a monthly we can always change it but but you can also throw more in your offset account or more in your redraw account and do it that way to also reduce your interest all right and if you got a bit of a, a checklist off the top of your head that people should have ready when they come to a broker about, you know, I know off the top of my head it would be, say, pay slips, um, you know, your, your water rates or just some bills. What what are some things that people should just start organising to, to get to you just to make this process quicker? Yeah, look, we, we, we collect ID. Um, we do, like, an ID check. We have to get pay slips. We have to get uh, our last two years' tax returns and notice of assessment, uh, if there's details of a property or anything like that. Also, also bank statements. Um, one of the big things at the moment that the banks are really assessing is is your living expenses. So there's a thing called HEMS, which is which is household living expenses. So if you've got two adults, two children, you earn sixty thousand dollars a year each. Um, there's like a, a, a calculation that says, okay, you should be spending three and a half thousand. I'm picking a figure that, and and so if you spend above that, then they they're going to look at that and go, okay, we've got to put that into the calculator. If you spend below it, they're probably going to use the, the HEMS figure anyway. So just keep an eye on on those expenses that, that look, if you're, if you're trying to set yourself up to get a loan, just keep an eye on those expenses that, that you don't need to be spending or and, and just keep an eye on your sports bet account, your, your, um, your taking money out at the pub, those sorts of things. Uh, they, they keep a, a bit of an eye on those and have a look at where you spend your money. Okay, so it's all the little things you wouldn't even think of, like Netflix and, yeah, takeaway. Yeah. Yeah, look, you've still got to live. So it's still it's still going to be a normal living expenses that you've got. But, yeah, look, if, if you're three months out, maybe just keep a bit of an eye on those. If you can cook at home a couple more times or yeah, just avoid avoid those 
those things a little bit, but don't ca- don't completely change your lifestyle because it, you won't be able to sustain it when you get the loan anyway. Yeah, okay. And uh, Matt, you're a coastie. You grew up on the coast. Yes. Um, what's your favourite place? Where do you where, when you're here? Where do you like to go? Oh, Nora Heads, where we used to live, and um, we loved it. We used to get into JDs all the time. Uh, it was an awesome area. Uh, kids used to go to St Mary's. Uh, we, we look, we miss the coast and our family's still down there. Obviously, Darren's down there, mum and dad. And, um, yeah, look, we do, we do miss the coast. Uh, we, we relocated up here to Brisbane and yeah, it's a diff- different environment. We're, we're a bit more part of a city, but we do, we do miss the laid back lifestyle that is on the coast. Yeah. You don't, uh, you don't miss those. How many stairs are at Denny Dixon there? Have you ever counted them? I think it's 126. <laughs> I know. I know the kids counted it when we were there, and and we we used to jog up there a little bit. Although I don't think I'd make it now. But. 126 days. <laughs> I'm actually going to test that. I'll be there in a few days. I'll I'll let you know. <laughs> yeah, tell me if I'm wrong. I will. It's something I will. close. Thank you so much for talking to us today, Matt. It was it was really awesome. No problem. Anytime. All right. Thank you. See you later. Okay. Thanks, guys. Okay. Bye bye. So I'm hoping you found this episode of Our Heritage as helpful as I did. If you want to know a little bit more about all the things we discussed, you can see the show notes and we'll pop all the links down below. I just want to say a big thanks to Matt for calling in and chatting to us about all things brokerage and home loans. Our Heritage drops every Wednesday wherever you get your podcasts and was produced, mixed and mastered by Kieran Christie, hosted by me, Carly Eldridge, and brought to you by Heritage Media. Bye for now. Heritage Media.